Welcome to People's Church. Before we get to this week's message with Pastor Tom Murray, we want you to know that you matter to your Heavenly Father and you matter to us. People's Church is a multi-generational faith community in Salem, committed to knowing Christ and making Him known. Sunday morning worship services at our Salem campus are at 8.30, 10, and 11.30. Watch messages anytime and plan your visit at peopleschurch.com. We pray this practical biblical teaching is encouraging, challenging, and possibly even life-changing. Well, it is good to be with you. There is no better place to start the week than right here with you. A special welcome if this is one of your very first times with us. We know that it can be a big step to come into a new church. And if that's you today, we want you to feel like you are welcomed here, like we have welcomed you into our home. Thank you for coming. As we get ready to open up the Bible together, talk about God's word together, I want to just once again extend an invitation to you as I shared last week. Uh, coming up later this year, Jennifer and I, we're going to go to Israel for the first time. We've never been before. And uh, we want to invite you to go with us. We are going to do a 10-day tour of Israel, a journey through biblical history. And uh, it's going to be November 6th through the 15th. We know for a lot of us, this is one of those things that we have on our bucket list to do once in a lifetime. Uh, there are those you've gone and you say, I would love to go back. So if it is your desire, you're saying this is my time to go, uh, we would invite you to come with us. Uh, Jennifer is going to be holding an informational meeting right after this worship service in conference room C, conference room C that is over by the coffee shop. She will share the itinerary with you and the cost information. If you would like to come with us, we would be thrilled to travel with you. You get to know people in a new way when you travel with them, for better or worse. Ten days, it's going to be fun. So uh, a, a business journal did a survey of human resources professionals, people who work in HR. And this business journal surveying human resources professional, they asked how many of you working in human resources have discovered someone misrepresenting themselves on a resume. That's a polite way of saying it. How many of you as HR executives have caught somebody lying on their resume? And these HR executives responded, 60% of these human resources workers say that during their career, they have caught somebody flat out lying or misrepresenting themselves on a resume. In another study of executives, it was found that executives believe that executives committing resume fraud is on the rise. The reason I bring this up, truth and trust are very closely related. Truth and trust are very closely related. And if it's discovered that you lie on a resume, that you've not told the truth, the potential employer will likely conclude because you have lied, because you have not told the truth, we're not going to hire you because we can't trust you. We can't trust you. A college football coach was forced to resign before coaching even one game at a university because it was revealed that he never played one game for the college where he claimed to be a star athlete. And in addition to that, it was uncovered that he claimed to have earned a master's degree 
from a university that he made up. (laughs) Truth and trust. If you don't tell me the truth, I lose my trust in you. The same would go the other way around. See, truth over time builds trust. And this today is where we begin our mess, we rejoin our message series, Relevant, How God Speaks. Last week we talked about how in our, our culture, what is relevant today often becomes obsolete tomorrow, with our technology especially. What once was useful is no longer useful because it's been replaced by what is better, by what is faster, what is stronger, or what is easier. What uh, had purpose today, that purpose passes us by, and so whatever it is becomes obsolete. And yet, totally counterculturally, the Bible remains just as relevant today as it's ever been. And here's the thing about the Bible it doesn't become more relevant or less relevant, it is consistently relevant because the Bible describes the path for people to have relationship with their Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ. The Bible is relevant because sin still separates and Jesus still saves. God speaks to us. How does God speak? God speaks to us through the Bible. That's why we actually call the Bible God's word. And God does what we do when something is really important. He put it in writing. He put it in writing. Or maybe we should say that we do what God does when we really uh, have something that's important. We'd say, could you please Put that in writing for me. So today, as we open the word together, we'll see how Jesus uses scripture. Jesus uses scripture to support his bold statements about truth, about trust, and about purpose. Now, it's crazy, right? Truth has become this loaded word in our culture. Uh, What is true is debated. There's disagreements about what is true. Some promote their own version of the truth, even if it's not accurate, even if it's not supported by facts. And let me just say, if it's not accurate, if it's not supported by facts, then it's actually not true. Some people, you may not have access to all the information that you need to make a well-informed decision, or you may rely on unreliable uh, sources, so you declare truth without having all the information or without good information. Like maybe the mom who says, my son would never rob a convenience store. And then there's video of her son robbing a convenience store. I did not have that information before, mom says. And then the good mom says, I saw what you did in that video. You better get down to the police department and turn yourself in before I drag you down there. And the police officers in the house said, amen. (laughs) It doesn't usually work that way, right? It can be difficult to admit that something is true when that truth exposes or opposes our deeply held beliefs. That's not just for some people, that's like for all of us. When we find out that something is true that comes at odds with what we deeply hold as true, It is difficult for us to admit what is actually true, or it can be difficult to admit something is true when it threatens our identity, when it threatens who we are. It can be difficult to admit that something is true when it threatens our way of life. So what do we see happening? Many of us would say that in culture, we've become less confident in who to trust. Some people have just given up on truth. Some decide that we get to make up our own truth. There's confusion, this live your own truth. Well, things... 
like not being fake, that's good. It's good to be honest with others about what you're feeling. It's good to pursue your own purpose and not just to conform to fakely fit into some group. But church, what we see in the word is that we are deceived when we convince ourselves that we are the source of truth. We're deceived when we convince ourselves that truth originates from us. In fact, the Bible says, Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seems right to man, but it ends in the way of death. Or Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things. So if the heart is deceitful of all things, above all things, how could we trust our heart to be the originating source of truth? I want to invite you to open up or power up your word with me to Luke chapter 4, verse 18 today. Luke 4, 18, where we pick up the life of Jesus from the pages of history. He's been baptized. The heavens opened, the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove, and a voice came down from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Then Jesus spends 40 days in the wilderness being tempted by the enemy, and we're going to talk about that coming up in two weeks, but today we focus on what happens next. Jesus goes to the community of his childhood, to the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth. He's already at this point been regularly going to synagogues, so he's already been developing a reputation of going to the synagogues, of teaching on the Sabbath day. So here he is in his hometown synagogue in Nazareth, and he receives the scroll containing the scripture of Isaiah. He opens the scroll. He finds the scripture he's been looking for. Now, get this. Jesus knew what was written, and he knew where to find it. Jesus knew it was written and he knew where to find it. What is good for Jesus in that way is good for us. It's good to know what is written in God's word and where to find it. So Jesus reads a prophecy that dates back 700 years and he starts to read. Luke chapter 4 verse 18 records Jesus reading out loud in the synagogue what we also have in our Bible as Isaiah 61 beginning in verse 1. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus reads, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Jesus uses scripture to describe and declare his purpose. There are people who are in chains. There are people who are incarcerated for their faith. There are people who are blind, like their actual vision is impaired. There are people who are today in our planet living oppressed, which means they are living in conditions where basic freedoms are restricted or limited by a government or some other authority. While those apply to some people in some places, and we do trust that God is fully capable to work in those situations, the priority of Jesus when he says, when he reads, to proclaim good news to the poor to proclaim liberty to the captives, to recovery of sight to the blind, liberty to those who are oppressed. The priority for Jesus is not the physical, it is the spiritual. Jesus came to bring freedom to those who are imprisoned by sin. Jesus came to bring sight to those who are blind to God's truth. Jesus came to bring good news for those who are spiritually poor those who are without Christ and who are destined for an eternity apart from God and by the way that's where we're all born into right for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God (laughs) 
Jesus is not anointed to proclaim fake news. Jesus is anointed to proclaim the good news. And when Jesus says that he is anointed to proclaim the good news, that means he is stating that he is anointed by God to speak the truth. Trust and truth are very closely related. Let me give you this definition of truth. Truth is fact and reality. It can be verified. It is independent of beliefs or perceptions. It is true or it's not true. Trust, trust is something that we get to decide if we trust. Trust is the belief in someone or some things, reliability, ability, or strength. It is based on our perception, whether or not we trust. Trust is built on a foundation of truth over time. Now, let me give you a couple things about the relationship between trust and truth. Listen to this one. You can trust in something or someone that is not true. You can trust in something or someone that is not true. And let me take you to the trick that every dad has used in a game of basketball in the driveway. Dad is dribbling the basketball. Son or daughter is playing defense. And the dad says, look, your shoe is untied. In that moment, son or daughter looks down to check their shoe, which is tied. But by the time that's realized, dad has passed son or daughter by on the way to the hoop for an easy layup. <laughs> In that moment, when the dad says, look, your shoe is untied, you are placing, if you look down at your shoe, you're placing trust in something that's not true. Here's another one. You can state the truth, but not be trustworthy. You can state the truth, but not be trustworthy. Here's an example. Were you driving 90 miles per hour? Yes, I was driving 90 miles per hour. Thank you for being truthful but I no longer trust you to borrow my car. You can state the truth, but not be trustworthy. So Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and set at liberty those who are oppressed. Then Jesus, he rolls up the scroll, he gives it back to the attendant, and he sits down. Now all eyes are on Jesus. At this time in history, the tradition in the synagogue was that the scripture of what we now call the Old Testament would be read standing up. So Jesus reads from Isaiah standing up. Then he gives a scroll back, and the tradition was that then the teaching by the rabbi would take place with the teacher sitting down. So Jesus has read from the scroll, given the scroll back, and now he sits down. And everyone is leaning in, wondering what is Jesus going to say? Now, if it were me, if I had the privilege of walking with Jesus, of being around Jesus when he walked the earth, this would be me all the time. I would always be wondering, what is Jesus going to say next? So here is the crowd in Jesus' hometown. Remember, remember many of these people watched Jesus grow up. And now here is the hometown boy, a grown man, about 30 years old, 
reading from the scripture. He already has this reputation of teaching with incredible authority. He has read from this well-known passage from the scripture of Isaiah that would be known to the people who were in the room. And now he sits down. Everyone in his hometown is leaning in, wondering, Jesus, what is he going to say next? Luke chapter 4, verse 21. So now this is Jesus teaching. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture, Isaiah, which I just read to you, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In that moment, Jesus describes his purpose. Jesus claims in the moment that he is not just reading something that is true. Jesus claims that this prophecy that was made hundreds of years ago is coming true through him. He is claiming to be the Messiah. So the question then, question now, is this true? Can Jesus be trusted? Look at how the crowd reacts. Luke chapter 4, verse 22. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? This is a difficult verse. Even people who have many more degrees than I have, who are much smarter than I am, would say this is a difficult verse. Here's why. It could be read, there's really three points here. The people spoke well of him, they marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth, and they said, is this not Joseph's son? This could be read as three positive statements. They're speaking well of him, They marvel at the gracious words. This is so good. I'm hearing about God's grace in a way that I've never heard about God's grace before. And here it is, our own hometown boy. It's Jesus who grew up down the street. We're all so very proud of him. One way of understanding it. What most scholars lean toward is a second interpretation where all spoke well of him means that up until this moment, there is a positive response to what Jesus is teaching up until this moment but then it takes his turn they the marveling at the gracious words that are coming from his mouth this is actually like they're not in agreement like I can't believe that he just said that I can't believe that he just claimed what he claimed I can't believe that he just said that he is the fulfillment of that prophecy that we've been reading about our whole life (laughs) come on isn't this the carpenter's son How could the carpenter's son, how could Joseph's son be the Messiah? Any positive mood in the room is definitely shifting because what Jesus goes on to say next, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. That is quite an accusation to the people who are listening to him teach. And he actually gives examples, two examples from Old Testament scripture. When Jesus uses these scriptures, he declares them as relevant for the moment. Jesus says that, There were many widows in Israel during the days of Elijah when there was a drought. There were many widows in Israel during the days of Elijah during a drought. Yet of all the people who Elijah could have helped, of all the widows that Elijah could have helped, he helped a foreigner. And in the days of Elisha, there were many lepers in Israel, yet the one leper who is healed is a foreigner, a military commander named Naaman. And Jesus uses these stories from the Old Testament to highlight his point that prophets are not accepted in their home. Prophets are not accepted in their home. 
If you were in that crowd in that day, we like to think that we would react differently, but the crowd does not react well because what is Jesus doing in that moment? He is accusing them of missing something. And we don't like to be accused of missing something. He has, accused, he has said, I am the fulfillment of this prophecy that was spoken by Isaiah 700 plus years ago. It's being fulfilled right in front of your eyes and you're missing it. No one likes to be accused of missing it. And so what happens, Luke 4, 28, when they heard these things, this is the people in his hometown of Nazareth in, in the synagogue, when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath and Luke goes on to report that they ran Jesus out of town. Remember what we said, that it can be difficult to admit that something is true when that truth exposes deeply held beliefs. It can be difficult to admit that something is true when the truth opposes our deeply held beliefs. It can be difficult to admit that something is true when it threatens our identity, who we are. It can be difficult to admit that something is true when it challenges our way of life. So for the crowd, again, we like to think that we would react differently. But for the crowd in Jesus' hometown to acknowledge that Jesus is the Messiah, it comes against their long-held belief that this is just the carpenter's son who seems to be able to memorize scripture a little bit easier than the rest of the kids in the neighborhood, who seems to be doing this a little bit better than everyone else at Junior Bible Quiz. <laughs> trusting in Jesus is trusting in the truth. Jesus is not only speaking the truth, he is the truth. I didn't make that up. Jesus himself said it. John 14, 6, 6, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the truth, Jesus says. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the source of all truth. To trust Jesus is to align your life with the truth. Freedom to the captives, freedom to the oppressed, sight to the blind. What is the result that comes from trusting in Jesus? Freedom. Freedom. Political freedom, this is good, but that's not the primary reason that Jesus came. Jesus came for freedom from the captivity that is linked to sin. Jesus came for freedom from the oppression that is caused by sin. When Jesus says, I am the truth, in John 14, 6, he makes a huge statement about who he is and about his relationship to the Heavenly Father. Jesus says, I am the truth. Jesus does more than speak truth. Jesus is truth. He is the source of truth. Everything that he says is truth. Everything that he does is truth. It is against his nature to do anything that is false. We can also understand this. When, when Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, we can also understand this as Jesus saying, I am the true way to life. I am the only way to life eternal with the Father in heaven. Jesus reveals God's truth that he is the way to God. Jesus gives us true understanding of God and he gives us the way. Jesus is truth, the revealer of the truth and the one who leads people in truth. The relationship between truth and trust. Why do we trust Jesus? What reasons do we have? If you need reasons, here are some. Jesus has no ulterior or selfish motives. He healed the sick. He fed the hungry. 
He saw the crowds. He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, it says in Matthew 9, 36. He taught hope, and what did he get in return? A death sentence on the cross. Why trust Jesus? Jesus' life and teachings are recorded in the Bible and other historical texts. Historians, archaeologists, and other scholars have studied and verified the archaeology, the geography, the anthropology, and the chronology of the Bible, which lends credibility to the claims of the Scripture and what Jesus said about who he is. Why trust Jesus? Look at the first followers of Jesus. They witnessed his life. They heard his teachings. They were so convinced that Jesus is the Son of God that they were willing to die so that the message could be advanced. It's hard to believe that there would be somebody out there who would give their life. They would even uh, be killed to advance a lie. These first followers of Christ were so convinced that Jesus is the Son of God that they wrote about Jesus comprising what we now call the New Testament and they were willing to give their life so that people would hear about him. Why trust Jesus? The fulfillment of prophecies. Jesus' life and death fulfilled many prophecies that were written about the Messiah in the Old Testament, which gives additional credibility to Jesus' claims about who he is and why he came, his identity and his mission. Why trust Jesus? We trust Jesus because he successfully predicted, forecasted, his own death and resurrection. No one else in history has done that, by the way. Jesus successfully predicted his own death and resurrection. And when someone predicts successfully their own death and resurrection, it's a good idea to listen to what that person has to say. And Jesus is the only one. Jesus was crucified. He was buried in a sealed tomb. And on the third day, the tomb was empty, even though it was guarded by the most strategic military of that day. This event is seen as the ultimate proof of Jesus' identity as the Son of God. And it's the foundation of our Christian faith. The Bible is relevant because it speaks truth into a confused culture and reveals why Jesus is trustworthy. I've given many reasons why we trust Jesus. For many of us, we'd say, in addition to all of that, it is much more personal for us because of what Jesus has done in our own lives, because of our testimony, because we, not just in a theoretical way, we have seen in a real way the transforming power of Jesus Christ in our life that we can point to a moment in our own life story. We have our own before and after story. We saw what life was like. We experienced life without Jesus. And then there was a moment when we said, this is not going on one day further. Today, I give my life to Jesus Christ. And many of us would say it didn't necessarily make everything easier. It didn't take away every difficulty. It didn't mean that there was no problems. It didn't mean, it didn't mean that there were no more bumpy roads ahead. But what it did mean that we had a peace that we never had before. We had a hope that we didn't have before that no matter what happens this side of eternity, we win. We win. We've said twice now, it can be difficult to admit that something is true. 
when the truth exposes deeply held beliefs. It can be difficult to admit something is true when what is true opposes what we believe to be true. It can be difficult to admit that something is true when it threatens who we are. It can be difficult to admit that something is true when it challenges our identity or our way of life. And when it comes to relationship with Jesus, this may be where you've been in the past or it may be where you are today. There are many of us in this room who would say that at the moment that we gave our life to Christ, there was a way that we were living. There were things that we were convinced of. There were beliefs that we had. And to put our faith in Jesus absolutely confronted some of deeply held things in our life. And to follow Jesus meant to abandon what in some of our life stories was our identity, to turn away from what identified us. Maybe to receive Jesus as Savior comes up against what you've thought. Maybe you've dismissed Jesus as, and following Christ as just another organized religion. You've dismissed the Bible as a collection of fictional stories. And it's just been easier to deny but what you can't deny is what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life right now, what the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart right now. We know in our culture today, there are people who have staked their identity to be linked to a cause, to be linked to a nonprofit, to be linked to a political position that is unashamedly against the word of God. And so for some to hear the message of Jesus, it threatens your identity. And I just want, if that's you today, and I may, I've preached this message, this is the third time this morning, and I, I'm, this may be only for one person in all of the three services, but I, I would want you to hear today that if you're sensing a calling to faith in Christ, and yet you're wrestling with what does this mean for my identity it would mean leaving my identity because of the causes I have stood for. It would mean leaving that in the past. What I would want you to hear is that you would have something in common with the Apostle Paul. Before Paul had a radical encounter with a resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus, it was his identity to be an opponent of the movement that we now call Christianity. It was Paul's identity that he was given the authority to do to whatever he could to stop the movement that we now call Christianity. He was, he was authorized to arrest. He was authorized to terrorize. He was even authorized to declare the death penalty in attempts to stop the move that we now, movement that we now call Christianity. And yet Paul had such a radical encounter with a resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus that he saw that there was no other option but to abandon the identity of what would become his past, to change his name, and to instead find new life and new identity in Jesus Christ. Jesus continues to radically encounter the human heart. If you're having doubts, and fears today about what does this mean for my identity if I make a decision to follow Jesus. 
I would encourage you to approach the throne of heaven today with a confidence that when you choose, when you choose to follow the truth, we trust the one who is truth for the outcome. When we follow the truth, Jesus, he is truth. When we follow the truth, we trust the one who is truth for the outcome. And I want to challenge us, church. This is not the first time that I've shared this. We need to pray for Paul-like conversions to happen. There, there may be someone in your life, maybe someone you read about in the news, someone who pops up in your social media feed and you would think because of what they stand for, because of how long they've been aligned with this cause, because of the beliefs that they constantly speak about, write about, there's no way we tell ourselves that they would ever become a follower of Christ. That's what people said about Paul. You can read about it in Acts. They were stunned. The, the first followers of Jesus who we would call the apostles, you can almost envision it like Paul's a Christian because everyone knew what he did and who he was and what his identity. Paul is a Christian? Maybe that's your life story. You became a Christian and your friend's like, you became a Christian? If Paul, if Jesus can transform Paul's life, there is no life that is outside the transforming power of Jesus Christ. And church, we see it. It's revival. It's not coming in the future. We believe it is happening now. And as part of this revival, we must pray that those who are far from God will have radical encounters with the resurrected Jesus Christ and we will continue to hear about Paul-like transformations. Praise God. Would you stand with me if you're able? Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Thankful that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, not just to speak truth, but he did speak truth. We're thankful, Father, that you sent your son, Jesus, not just to reveal truth, but he certainly did reveal truth. We're thankful that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, who is truth. Everything about him is true. Father, many of us would say that we've experienced how it comes up short when we try to live some version of our own truth, seeing our own self as the source of truth. We come before the throne of heaven, Lord, seeing your son, Jesus Christ, as the source of all truth, as the truth. And we invite you, Father, through your Son, through the Holy Spirit, to continue to shape and mold us to be like your Son, Jesus. Father, we pray right now for Paul-like conversions, for people whose entire identity has been built for years or even decades on, around causes that are unashamedly against your word, and for the one who's wrestling with, well, what does this mean Father, give them a confidence right now that any identity that they give up will more than abundantly be replaced by identity in Christ and Christ alone, that there will be no insufficiency to be identified as a follower of Christ. There will be no lacking to identify with Christ, 
that whatever they may fear they will lose, the abundance that will be gained is incomparable. And if that's you today, <laughs> maybe you thought, I, I, I don't know why I came. I don't know how I ended up watching this online right now, but now you know. Now you know. God is undeniably speaking to your heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's asking you to take a step forward in faith. And if that is you today, say, Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, forgive me. I encourage you to ask for forgiveness right now for all the times that you've denied his word, for all the times that you've used his name in vain, for all the times that you have downplayed Jesus, for all the times that you have dismissed what is the truth to be fables. Father, I, we come to you in the name of Jesus for these friends right now who are making this decision. And Father, for the one who feels like because of what they've said, because of what they've done, because of what they've thought, they've, there's, there's no way that they could ever be forgiven. We're thankful, Father, that, there's, that we cannot outrun your forgiveness. We cannot outrun your grace. Reveal to the hearts right now, Father, that you are waiting with open arms. And if that's you today, say, Father, I come to you. I receive you. I run to your open arms. It's okay to say, Father, I don't know all the implications of this, but I do trust that as I identify with Jesus Christ, that whatever identity I am leaving behind, that you will pour over in abundance, incomparably, that I would be like Paul, that there would be no looking back, that I cannot resist this truth for one more day and then say, Father, thank you for redeeming me through your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for new life in Jesus Christ. Father, for those of us who come in as followers of Christ, we are thankful for our testimony today. We're thankful that you reached out through the Holy Spirit and you called us to yourself. You called us to repentance through your son that maybe we grew up in church, but it was only in adulthood that the gospel made sense to us for the very first time. We thank you for meeting us, Father, in our brokenness. We thank you for meeting us when we did not have all the answers. We thank you for saving us through your son, Jesus Christ. We're thankful today for our testimony. Church, if you are thankful today for your testimony, I invite you to worship your heavenly Father out loud right now and lift up a shout of praise for the testimony, the new life that you have in Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We pray that this week's message has been practical, encouraging, and challenging. Let us know if you made a first-time commitment or recommitment to following Christ. Visit peopleschurch.com and click Connect to share your decision with us. There is great value in being a part of a Christ-centered, Bible-teaching faith community. If you are looking for a church home, Pastor Tom Murray invites you to People's Church in Salem. Sunday morning and evening worship services, group Bible studies, relevant engaging activities for kids and youth in safe, secure environments. Watch messages anytime or plan your visit at peopleschurch.com.